good to see you this morning. Obviously, our church uh, scatters often over the holidays. Glad that some of you are still sticking around. Uh, I'll be leaving on Christmas Day, driving to Texas. And if anybody would like to come with me, they can monitor my kids in the back seat. It'll be awesome. Going to Dallas, then we're going to swing back up through Nashville. So it's going to be about a 32-hour round trip. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, Think, uh, as I've been thinking about kids, I'm about to be with them a lot here pretty soon, I've been thinking about a lot of the children in the world and what they're undergoing, and I really want us to pray beginning this morning for vulnerable children. Just yesterday I was reading about uh, children in Montana, how there's been uh, an increase of children in Montana in the foster care system uh, due to meth use, a uh, significant number of children in the foster care system, and that's just one snippet of uh, the problems going on around America and around the world where adults are making decisions and they're impacting children and we have vulnerable children all over the world. And so I want to, I want to begin this morning in, in praying for those kids and even our children here. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are good and your, your love endures forever and your faithfulness continues to all generations. Great is your faithfulness. Father, many of us have kids, and we, we care for them. And we can just think of how much more you care for your creation. And we want to pray for those who are suffering right now. We pray for the families and the children in, in Montana, that you would bring healing to the parents and reconciliation and recovery through grace, through Jesus. Pray for the children, uh, thousands in America even in Chicago and Illinois, who are in a system that is often broke and letting a lot of people down as we are broken people. We just ask that you continue to provide families and people stepping in to help and show mercy. And even the millions of orphans around the world, in Ethiopia or China or Guatemala, we, we pray for the children that you would show mercy and grace to them. And for those children who are homeless or on the streets or many children that are fleeing with refugees, they were without homes, not just during this Christmas time, but what seems to be for good, that you would intervene and, and take your church to be part of this solution, offering homes and grace and provision. And we pray for those children who are being abused. Some are in slavery. Some are being abused in different ways. Uh, many are impacted by violence. Even the, some of the kids in, in Chicago are scared to go outside because of the violence. Kids are in war zones, globally and even locally. Lord, we are asking for mercy and grace, asking for help, asking that you would stir us up as believers, not just to focus on ourselves, but to look out and see where we can be a part of caring for those who are suffering. And we pray for our own children that are within our own church. We pray for their salvation, to know Christ, to be serious about Jesus, to be willing to lay their lives down for Christ and find in him this life that is truly life. As they grow up among us and as they get sent out among us, may they be true Christ followers. And Lord, as your children, as we get into your word this morning, may you speak to us and give us much grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to have a little Christmas reflection this morning from 1 John. See if you can find that in your Bible. 
We're in 1 John chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Listen to the Word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You may be seated. Still one of my favorite books is uh, Radical by David Platt. Perhaps you've read it. He tells the story of sitting outside of a Buddhist temple in Indonesia and engaging in a conversation with a Buddhist leader and a Muslim leader that were part of the local community. These two leaders were saying that all religions are basically the same with a few minor differences. And they asked David, who is a Christian pastor, what he thought. And he said, it sounds as though you both picture God or whatever you call God at the top of a mountain. It seems that you believe that we are all at the bottom of the mountain and I may take one route up the mountain and you may take another and in the end we'll all end up in the same place. And these leaders were, were smiling and happy because that is exactly the way that they see it. Then David said to them, now let me ask you a question. What would you think if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain actually came down to where we are? What would you think if I told you that God doesn't wait for people to find their way to him, but instead comes to us? They paused, and then they said, that would be great. And David said, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. It's at this time of the year, this Christmas time, that we talk about God coming down the mountain, that the eternal Son of God has entered history. Jesus Christ has come down because there is no way that we as humans would ever be able to make it to God. As humans, we are sinful and we fall way short of his glory and his holiness. And there's no amount of goodness that we could perform that would get us up the mountain into God's presence. That is why Jesus entered history. He came down not only to show us the way to God, but to be the way to God through his perfect life, substitutionary death, and glorious resurrection. And it's through repentance and faith in Jesus that you can be found to live with God forever. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to reflect on the reality that God has come down the mountain. We're going to spend some time thinking about this eternal one manifested in history. 
Of course, there were a lot of results that stem from this crucial doctrine of the incarnation, but I want to kind of hit on three this morning for you that will follow along this text from 1 John. The results of Jesus entering history, the eternal one manifested in history, is that we get to experience the Lord, we get to have this cool fellowship in the Lord with one another, and we get to have joy in the Lord. It's really simple where we're going that kind of follows the that the text where we can experience the Lord because Christ has come, we can have serious fellowship in the Lord because Christ has come, and we can have this joy in the Lord because Christ has come. That's where we're going. I hope you can follow along. Let's go ahead and do it. We're in verse 1. Let me read it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. Now, what John has going on here so far is this, uh, this seesaw, or teeter-totter action. You know what a seesaw is? Up and down, right? He's going to be doing this. He's going to be going back and forth. He's going to be talking about the eternal existence of Jesus, and then he's going to swing down and talk about the historical manifestation of Jesus. So just kind of have this image in your mind of a seesaw back and forth, where we go to talk about the eternal man, uh, eternal uh, Jesus Christ manifested in history. We're going to go back and forth. So let's teeter to the, the eternal side of things, and John tells us that which was from the beginning. He, he's, he's rooting us not just in the incarnation of Jesus that was proclaimed as he came to this earth, but I think it includes that this goes all the way back further, all the way back to the preexistent Son of God. You know, Jesus, um, the Son of God, never had a beginning and has existed eternally with the Father. Like we had read earlier from John uh, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's like, let me talk to you about this Jesus. Let me go on this side of things and talk to you about the eternal one who has existed forever as the Son of God. He's really trying to root them in the eternal Son of God. He's not giving the church something new but he's taking them back to Jesus Christ. He's not giving them Christianity 6.0, but he's, he's not giving them an upgrade. He's staying with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. Some of you may like to upgrade your phone every time you have a chance. Not me. I like to see how long I can possibly go until the phone gives out. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with upgrading your phone. I'm not dogging you because of that. What, what I'm saying is that that's okay to do. But you don't want to start upgrading and going to another level of Christianity or start thinking that there's some other way or something else you're missing out on. And that's kind of what John is is going after here in the book that he's written is because there is some false teachers who are saying, you know, you need to upgrade from this original Jesus. You need to upgrade to some secret knowledge or upgrade into some indulgence in worldliness. They're trying to persuade the church to upgrade. And John's like, no, no, let's stick with the eternal one, Jesus Christ. And even in our culture, people may look on us with pity and may say, you need to to upgrade because your message is is not going to 
come across uh, too easy because you're basically saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's not good to say. So you need to upgrade to some other doctrine where Jesus Christ is one way to heaven. And someone will say, you need to upgrade this morality thing as well because uh, when you start talking about holiness, that doesn't sit so well in the culture. So you need to upgrade to some other type of morality where there can be this inclusive morality, basically where you can do whatever you want. And so there's even a pressure among us uh, in the church that we need to upgrade to some different type of doctrine, some different type of Jesus. And John's saying, no, let's just stay with the true Jesus, the Son of God, who has been eternally existent. Do not move on to new moralities. Do not move on to new ways to get to heaven. Uh, No matter what happens, stick with Jesus. Because if you forfeit Jesus, the eternal one manifested in history, then you are forfeiting eternal life. Look again at this eternal reality in verse 1. He says, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, Looked upon the hands of touch. Look at the very end of verse 1. Concerning the word of life. And then at the end of verse 2. Proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father and may manifest to us. So there, once again, there it is. Proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. So Jesus Christ is life. He's eternal life. Uh, your hope and only my hope of living with the Father forever is in, is in Jesus Christ the one who existed with the Father forever. Our only hope is the eternally existent one. Once again, if you want to move on to an upgrade into a different form of Jesus, if you want to move on from what has been held through the word of God, then who is going to be left to die for your sins? If you are seeking out a more fuller spirituality outside of Jesus, then who is going to turn the Father's wrath away from you? If you are setting aside Jesus and want your freedom to create your own mix-and-match religion, then who righteousness will you stand on the day of judgment? We're just trying to keep it really simple. Jesus is the eternally existent Son of God, who through, through repentance and faith in him, you may have eternal life. I'm really trying to encourage you as we finish up 2015 and launch into the 2016 that we don't seek a new upgrade of Jesus, that we stick with the original Son of God who has existed for eternity. And that's where John starts, teeter-totter action. He's focusing on the Son of God through eternal manifestation. He's lived forever. And then we, now he's going to teeter to the other side. And we're going to see his earthly existence. So the Son of God, eternally existent, has been manifested in history. And we know about him because he came down the mountain into history. Once again, look at verse 1. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So part of the threat going on here is that these false teachers were, were denying the incarnation. God made flesh. They had some super spiritual view of Jesus who did not come in the flesh. And to counteract that, John says that people actually experienced Jesus in history with their senses. They actually heard him. He was a historical figure, by the way. They heard Jesus teach on the kingdom of God. They saw his sinless life with their eyes, and they watched the way he healed people and cast out demons and raised the dead. So they they heard him, they saw him, but since Jesus was a historical person, John says that they also touched 
Jesus. They could even touch Jesus in his resurrection body. So Jesus didn't just appear to be some spiritual being when he came on this earth, but he was flesh and blood. And what John is saying is that he was, has eyewitness testimony of what he has seen, heard, and touched. This is a very powerful uh, sensory experience. And this is the power of sensory experiences where you can just think about the concept of free samples, right? You're sampling something to see what it's like, whether or not you want to buy the whole thing. For example, uh, I'll, I will sometimes take my kids and eat a whole meal based upon free samples at Costco. My kids will say, what's for dinner tonight? And I'll say, I don't know. Let's go see what they have at Costco for free. So I'll take them to Costco, and they're sampling stuff. I hope they're getting filled up so I don't have to buy anything. Uh, occasionally, we like something, and you end up buying the whole thing. And, and that, that's what's going on here. John has seen, he has heard, he's touched Jesus. And through this experience, he's saying, I am all in. Jesus is real. The apostles experienced Jesus, lived with him. Miracles, saw it, heard his teaching. Burial, resurrection, touched resurrection body. They are all in. They have experienced Christ. But then you think, yeah, but that's 2,000 years ago. We're here. I've not touched him. I've not seen him. I've not heard him. So I can't experience him. And I would say to that, I I think you can still experience Christ. And the apostles, specifically the apostle Peter, seems to indicate that you can experience Christ. Listen to what he said from 1 Peter 1. I love this passage. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Isn't that awesome? Though you've not seen him. That's speaking to you. You've not seen him. And yet, you love him. There is this joy within you. The Bible talks about us experiencing him, experiencing the gospel. If you're a believer, you've experienced grace. You know what that feels to have that freedom to be forgiven of your sins. For those of you who walk with the Lord, you pray, you ask him for things, you have an experience of answered prayer. For those of you who are walking with the Lord, you have the experience of conviction of sin. This past week, I I, I met with a, a doctor, and she's... Look at my face. She says, you know, you, you have this thing on your head, and it's got to come off. It's really attractive. It's up here. You can see it later if you want. She says, that has to come off. If you don't deal with that, it's going to turn into problems later. She says, it's not going to look good for a while. I said, yeah, I'm going to be preaching. She said, so what? So she, she took it off my head, and it didn't feel very good, and it doesn't look very good. And yet, that is an experience I have with God. We'll say, Jason, there's something going on in your life right now. You need to deal with that. And if you don't deal with that, it's going to get worse. That's an actual experience that I have while I'm reading the Word. Uh, like over the last month, God's been saying, you know, I've noticed that you've been really grumpy recently. Anybody with me? Like really grumpy. You're just, just a big grump. 
And if you don't deal with that, that's going to turn into something worse. And I think that's an experience I have through reading the word by the power of the spirit. And I would say, even as believers, though we've not touched Jesus, though we've not seen him, though we don't audibly hear him, I believe we still experience him through the gospel in a variety of ways. We don't need to move on to an upgrade. We don't need to move on to a new Jesus that does away with certain moralities or says that there's all ways to heaven apart from We don't have to move on to a new Jesus. We can stick with the eternal one manifested in history. And I don't want to spend much time on it, but I, I really think the potential to drift is serious and it can happen to people and to churches and they can drift away and go in search of an upgrade. A few years ago, I spent uh, some hours uh, with my kids at a camp in Tennessee. And I, I'm not making this up. We were at this camp and we were playing or they were playing uh, on a teeter-totter like I've been talking about, a seesaw. And they're on this, this seesaw and they're not using it properly, of course. Uh, they're standing on it and everything. But, but it's, they're playing on the seal, and I'm not joking, it totally snapped. Yeah, it snapped. Um, but here's what's ironic. We were at a denominational camp of a certain church, and that denomination has been messing around with the truth of Jesus for years and they are snapping and splintering themselves all over the place. Let's keep it simple. Let's say with the eternal one manifested in history, the true Jesus Christ, let's not move on to an upgrade, something that's more palatable to culture or something that seems more like, okay, maybe they'll accept. Let's just stick with Jesus, who he is, the eternal one manifested in history. Now, Jesus came down. Now, there's something else that John wants to add here, a result of him entering history, and it has to do with fellowship, fellowship in the Lord. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So here we have fellowship. It's both, got this, it's, it's vertical and it's horizontal. John said his fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So before fellowship can become uh, horizontal, it must first be vertical, rooted in biblical truth of who God is, manifested um, in one person, Trinity, three persons, one God, three persons. And there must be an agreement with who God is and what he's all about. So as we stand on the word, the true God, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, and what he's doing in this world, and as we have this fellowship with him through Christ by the power of the Spirit, we have fellowship with one another. We have this horizontal fellowship. But we need to be careful with this word fellowship. Be very careful with this word fellowship because sometimes it can be confusing. It's kind of, did you know that that's in our name, by the way? Evanston Bible Fellowship. And you kind of know, what, what does that mean? We use that word all the time. Like, okay, let's, let's go out to lunch and have fellowship. Let's go to a baseball game and, and have some fellowship. Let's go to our ethos community and have fellowship. 
hey, you going to go grab some coffee and have some fellowship? Like, what, is, what does that mean? What are we talking about? Go and have fellowship. It almost sounds like, hey, let's go socialize. Let's go watch Star Wars and fellowship. What are we talking about? When we talk about the biblical word of fellowship, it goes beyond this idea of socializing to the idea of sharing, partnership, participation. It's talking about a sharing, a, a partnership, and a, and a participation in the things of God. So as we, we get together, we are sharing together in the word of God. We're partnering together with the word of God, and we're all participating in the church, all of us. That's what fellowship is. We're all involved. We're all doing something. We're all connected with one another. We're all involved in the church. And now there's a distinction I think that's very helpful that someone tried to, to describe uh, between, uh, try to describe partnership in the church like a family meal in contrast to a meal at a restaurant. So let's, let's do this. When you go to a restaurant, like my, my favorite restaurant to go um, to is called Uncle Julio's. It's Mexican food. My wife and I were on a date there last night. We, we like that food. And in fact, when we go to Texas, we're going to have the extended family, and we're going to have a feast at Uncle Julio's. And that's a, it's a big deal for us. So uh, when we're there, the waiter gives us food. And it we're, we're, gives us sauce and chips, and we're eating that. We're like, okay, I need some more water. He brings us some water. Oh, it's not hot. Can you go warm this up? You know, the, the waiter is waiting on us. And when we're done, we can leave, and, and they'll come clean up. And if things are not right, we can complain. If we have to wait too long, we can complain. It's like it's a meal at a restaurant. It's just the way it goes. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about fellowship in the church. That you come to church and you say, okay, can you give me the preaching like I like it? Can you give me the music like I like it? Is there, a, is there like a comment card I can fill out and put that in the offering and complain? And if I don't like what I'm seeing, then I, I can ask for a different... No, that's not what it means to come to church. When you come to church, it's more like a, a family meal at a house where, hey, we go get the plates on the table. You put out the silverware, go get some food. You're cooking the food, great. Can you get the drinks? Yeah, fill, fill that one up there. And oh, let's, can you pass that for me? Can you serve me here? And when we're all done, let's all participate in cleaning up. That's what it's like to be in the church. It's like a family meal. We don't show up to church, say, serve me, serve me, serve me. No, we can all participate together, get in the word together, encourage one another, serve. That's what it's like to live as the body of Christ at Evanston Bible Fellowship. We want to see true biblical fellowship that involves sharing in and participating in the things of God. So John's saying, let me give you the true Jesus. Eternal one manifested in history. The reason why I'm doing this is because I want you to have fellowship with us. And lastly, he says, a result of Christ entering history is verse 4. It has to do with this intensifying joy. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John wants this church to walk in the truth so that his joy may be complete. Of course, not only will his joy be complete, but also their joy. You see, when we experience and proclaim Jesus, our joy together is cultivated 
and intensified. There is just this unexplainable, I cannot explain it, when, when Christ is in me and I am in Christ and you are in Christ and Christ is in you and we get together, there is something uh, about uh, this, this fellowship that springs forth into joy. When I get with my ethos community, we're in the Word, there is a joy there. I'm in the Word with my family, there's a joy there. When I meet with the elders and we're praying, we're in the Word, there's a joy there. There is something about centering ourselves on the Word of God and on who Jesus is. There is a joy. And, and some of you have experienced it uh, more intensely at certain times. For those of you who have ever gone on a mission trip, uh, or you, maybe in college you were around some certain people that you really were in the Word together, or, or maybe it was a conference you went to, or it was at some, some type of intense studying of the Word. You had this, this sustained uh, joy, maybe through prayer and fasting with other people. But the question is, when is the last time you have experienced joy in the Lord? When's the last time you have experienced joy in the Lord? You may think, man, that was a long time ago, (laughs) 10, 15 years ago, 10, 15 months ago. When's the last time you experienced joy in the Lord? Sometimes we act as if that, you know, we can have these occasional periods of joy, but for the most part, our our lives are going to be miserable. We're going to just be plowing through misery. And yet, the Bible's pretty serious that we can have this joy in the Lord. And I understand that the life is full of peaks and valleys, but there can be real, sustained joy in the Lord. Doesn't mean everything's perfect in your life. Doesn't mean everything is fixed in your life. But we can have joy in the Lord. And I believe one of the main ways we can have joy in the Lord is a course of getting in the Word, course coming and worshiping in church. One of the main ways we can have joy in the Lord is just being together, getting in the Word together, praying for one another over long periods of time. There's nothing fancy about it. I'll tell you what, as you enter 2016, I really want you to think about getting into this fellowship with a few people that you can pray with, that can encourage you, jump into one of our ethos communities so you can have more of a sustained joy in the Lord Jesus Christ as we participate together. But before you jump into the ethos, because most of our ethos are not going to meet until 2016, you've got about two weeks you're going to have to go through And what happens over these next two weeks, I have witnessed in the past, the next two weeks tends to be a time, though it's supposed to be all about Jesus, the next two weeks will get you out of your routines, the next two weeks will have you some extra time to be distracted, and the next two weeks, I've seen it over and over and over again, people in our church, over the next two weeks, people will do some pretty foolish things. Don't let that be you. It's like people have some extra time so they do stuff they shouldn't be doing. Have some extra time so they pick fights with people in their family they shouldn't be fighting with. They have some extra time, they get distracted. And after two weeks, you would think two weeks we're focusing on Christ. It's Christmas. After two weeks, you're worse off than you are right now. Let me encourage you to be aware of what's going on. I just warned you what the next two weeks may hold. Be aware of what's going on. Make some intentional time be with Christ in the word and prayer. Make some intentional time to actually be around other believers. Make some intentional time to worship. I know you'll be traveling. Go to church somewhere. 
Make some intentional time to be with the Lord. Because I don't want you to come back two weeks from now and, oh, wow, something bad happened. We are talking about Christ, the Son of God, came down the mountain, manifested in history. Through faith in him, we're forgiven. And we really can experience him. We really can be with one another and have this true fellowship in the Lord. And our joy can really be sustained in him and in him alone. And I want to pray for you right now as we enter into this time focusing on Christ over the next couple of weeks before we come back together in the future. Let's pray. Father, you see our hearts, and we, we just are amazed that the Christmas season, it's all about Jesus, and it's ironic. It can be such a season of distraction where we're going to be tempted to drift. We can get busy. We're traveling. We're all over the place. And we finally come back together. We're, we're just worse off than we were before we left. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would truly focus on Christ, the eternal one manifested in history. Cause them to be intentional about spending time with Jesus and cultivating joy in Jesus. Cause them to be intentional about being around other believers and not just talking about sports, but talk about Jesus. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that rather than drift this Christmas, there'll be a great time of really experiencing you, fellowshipping in you, and having a joy increase as they are spending time with you and with your people. Please protect them. And if anyone here does not know you, I just ask that you would reveal yourself through these words that they have heard this morning from your word, that you would awaken them to consider your claims of who you are, and that you have come down to rescue them, to reconcile them to the Father, through your life, death, and the resurrection. Jesus, to you be the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.